You're listening to the Things I Think About podcast. I'm your host, Jim Stroud. You can divide the USA down the middle by asking one question. Who won the election? Depending on your answer, you are demonized at worst, considered duped by the media at best, or somewhere in between. There are a lot of memes and quote-unquote Facebook facts abounding about the election, but few back up their stance with a PhD-level analysis of the facts. One who did was Dr. Peter Navarro. I'll be talking about him and his very famous report series right after this. Critical race theory supports the logic that all whites are born racist and oppressors by nature. They are to be viewed as a collective threat to non-white people and beyond redemption. This sentiment is already infecting the American workplace via racial sensitivity and diversity trainings. Despite the obvious controversy, such trainings are being accepted as just and fair and at an alarming pace across corporate America. Racism Reimagined How Critical Race Theory Imperils the American Workplace is an ebook that I wrote. In it, I do three things. One, I explain the basics of critical race theory. Two, I demonstrate how critical race theory is negatively affecting the American workplace. And three, I hope, <laughs> I hope, <laughs> I inspire a resistance to critical race theory being taught in the workplace. In light of the increased sensitivity to recent events like the George Floyd protests, the emergence of council culture, and the pressures on corporations to adhere to political correctness, the information in my ebook, Racism Reimagined How Critical Race Theory Imperils the American Workplace, is a counterbalance that should be carefully considered prior to new investments in diversity training. Racism Reimagined How Critical Race Theory Imperils the American Workplace is a free resource that can be downloaded and, by all means, shared with those in your network. A download link is available in the podcast description. Dr. Peter Navarro received his PhD in economics from Harvard University <laughs> and is a professor emeritus of economics and public policy at the University of California, Irvine. You might have seen him on CNBC, Fox Business, the BBC, MSNBC, and the CBS News, including 60 Minutes. He's kind of a big deal. He presently works uh, in the White House as the Director of the Office of Trade and Manufacturing Policy, an office established by President Trump to defend and serve American workers and domestic manufacturers. As a private citizen, Dr. Peter Navarro did his homework on the election. So much so, he wrote three volumes of reports based on what he observed. Agree or disagree with his findings, one must admit that he did his homework and that his evidence is compelling. His first report, The Immaculate Deception, assessed the fairness and integrity of the 2020 presidential election by identifying and assessing six key dimensions of alleged election irregularities. These irregularities included outright fraud, ballot mishandling, a wide range of process files, multiple violations of the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause, voting machine irregularities, and statistical anomalies. Here are some quotes from that report. Quote number one. 
In a voter fraud context, bribery refers to the corrupt solicitation, acceptance, or transfer of value in exchange for official action such as voter registration or voting for a preferred candidate. At least in Nevada, there is a slam dunk case that such bribery occurred. What is so stunning about the Nevada case is the brazen disregard for our federal bribery laws. In the Silver State, in an effort orchestrated by the Biden campaign, Native Americans appear to have traded their votes not for pieces of silver, but rather for Visa gift cards, jewelry, and other swag. According to the Epic Times, such vote buying schemes also may have occurred in eight other states, including Arizona and Wisconsin. Quote number two. Arguably, the most flagrant example of possible fake ballot manufacturing on behalf of Joe Biden may have occurred at the State Farm Arena in Atlanta, Georgia. The possible perpetrators were caught in fragrant delecto on surveillance video. In one version of the story, poll watchers and observers as well as the media were asked to leave in the middle of the night after a suspicious water leak. Once the room was cleared, several election officials pulled out large boxes of ballots from underneath a draped table. They then proceeded to tabulate a quantity of fake manufactured ballots estimated to be in the range of tens of thousands. Note that a large surge in Biden votes following the tabulation of these ballots came to be clearly observed after these votes were processed. Despite what appears to be damning evidence of a possible crime, a spate of stories appeared across the anti-Trump media diaspora dismissing any concerns. According to these whitewashed stories, these were regular and authorized ballot boxes. Observers in the media were not asked to leave, but simply left on their own. Huh. And quote number three. Indefinitely confined voters are those voters unable to vote in person because of old age or some disability. There are two types of possible abuses associated with such indefinitely confined voters. The first kind of abuse involves exploiting the elderly or the infirm by effectively hijacking their identities and votes. For example, in Georgia, the family of an elderly man in a nursing home facility discovered that a mail-in ballot had been requested and submitted under his voter registration identity, yet it was done without his consent. In a similar situation in Pennsylvania, two parents and their daughter who had uh, Down syndrome went to vote in person and discovered that a mail-in ballot had both been requested and submitted for the daughter without her consent. The second kind of indefinitely confined voter abuse is far more consequential, at least in the state of Wisconsin. The key allegation here in several court filings is that bad faith voters registered as indefinitely confined intentionally broke Wisconsin election law to circumvent election integrity photo identification requirements. In a nutshell, they were able to vote without showing a voter identification photo and therefore underwent a far less rigorous ID check than would otherwise have been conducted. This abuse happened 
according to one press account, after clerks in Dane and Milwaukee counties offered legal advice that encouraged individuals to use indefinite confinement as a way to ignore the state's photo ID requirement. The Trump side has called this correctly an open invitation to fraud, and stories and pictures abound of Wisconsin voters who registered as indefinitely confined but were seen also attending weddings, riding their bikes, going on vacation, and otherwise be anything but confined. Bribery, fake ballot manufacturing, exploiting the elderly by hijacking their identities and stealing their votes. All of that was documented in volume one of Dr. Peter Navarro's report series, The Immaculate Deception. He followed that up with volume two in his report series, The Art of the Steal. Here's just one quote from that report. The practical result of the Democrat Party's two-pronged grand stuff-the-ballot-box strategy was to flood the key six battleground states with enough illegal absentee and mail-in ballots to turn a decisive Trump victory into a narrow alleged Biden victory. Key political operatives assisting the Democrat Party included Wall Street oligarch George Soros, Silicon Valley oligarch and Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, and Mark Elias, former Hillary Clinton campaign general counsel and one of the alleged architects and financial conduits for Fusion GPS and the Russia hoax designed to topple a duly elected president. Soros money helped fund efforts to change election laws and rules through instruments such as referenda. Soros and his network of organizations such as the Political Action Committee Secretary of State Project also helped to elect puppet secretaries of state in Michigan, Jocelyn Benson, and Pennsylvania, Kathy Bakvar, who would play instrumental roles in bending or breaking election rules and thereby advancing the grand stuff the ballot box strategy. Zuckerberg money, nearly half a billion dollars, helped engineer what was effectively a hostile Democrat Party public-private partnership takeover of what should otherwise been a nonpartisan election process in key Democrat strongholds such as Wayne County, Michigan and Dane County, Wisconsin. Useful idiots for the Democrat Party included Georgia's Republican Governor Brian Kemp and Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, who entered into a consent decree that dramatically increased the number of absentee and mail-in ballots while dramatically decreasing the rejection rate of such ballots. Republican state legislators who voted for the bills that would help the Democrats advance its grand strategy likewise were unwitting dupes. Dr. Navarro's report series concluded with volume three entitled, Yes, President Trump Won, The Case, Evidence, and Statistical Receipts. In that report, Navarro lays out a lot of statistics in respect to the number of illegal votes in each battleground state. When I read through those reports and considered the source, it was easy to think that the information offered is from a lifelong Republican and now a hardened Trump supporter defending the president with a cult-like loyalty. However, I was wrong to even consider that because 
When I looked into his background, Dr. Peter Navarro used to be a Democrat with a deep respect and admiration for Hillary Clinton. In fact, he feuded with Republicans often and unsuccessfully ran against them for office multiple times. Hmm, interesting. When Dr. Peter Navarro released his report, the criticism he received was not directed at his analysis per se. Instead, the media attacked him for, for violating what's called the Hatch Act. To explain what the Hatch Act is, I will quote MarketWatch. The Hatch Act prevents federal employees from engaging in political work while performing their official duties. The agency charged with enforcing the act said that Peter Navarro, director of the White House Office for Trade and Manufacturing Policy, used his position to influence the 2020 presidential election through his statements in television interviews and on social media. His comments were directed at undermining Mr. Biden's presidential candidacy and persuading voters not to support him in the 2020 election, the Office of Special Counsel report stated. White House lawyers have asserted Navarro did not violate the Hatch Act because factual or policy statements do not constitute advocacy for, a, for or against a candidate, the report stated. They argued, for example, that Navarro's statement about Biden kowtowing to the Chinese was acceptable for him to make in his official capacity. When you go against the mainstream media narrative and leftist ideology in general, you will be called all kinds of names and canceled out of polite society. It amazes me that only after Dr. Peter Navarro was associated with President Trump that he became an idiot in the eyes of the left. Prior to that, he was regularly seen in mainstream media and widely respected. As I said earlier in the podcast, Dr. Peter Navarro was regularly featured on CNBC, Fox Business, BBC, CNN, MSNBC, CBS News, including 60 Minutes. It sort of reminds me of how the once uh, revered and highly respected neurosurgeon Dr. Ben Carson was vilified when he ran as a Republican and later served in President Trump's administration. All of those great accomplishments and all that admiration suddenly went away. But I digress. I searched and found a video where Dr. Peter Navarro defended his reporting. I would share it with you now, but YouTube took it down. You have been listening to the Things I Think About podcast. If you love what you heard, hate what you heard, or don't know what you just heard, I want to know about it. Drop me an email. I can be reached at Jim Stroud, that's J-I-M-S-T-R-O-U-D, at jimstroud.com. So, until next time, bye-bye.